uh, part of this congregation. I want to introduce you. Most of you already know the Portwood family. Um, where are you guys? I'm not going to make you come up front, but I am going to make you stand up, um, even on your bad foot. John and Sarahlyn Portwood and uh, their kids, Jackson, Cooper, and Emmy. Um, so if you, wanna, if you haven't met them, take that opportunity and meet them. Thank you, guys. Um, after, after worship this morning. And then um, also the Trevino family. You guys stand up. Come on. Heather and Paul Trevino and their children, Jace, Caden, and Breslin. Um, you want to get a chance to meet them. So that is uh, two families that are placing membership, becoming part of this body. So I wanted to introduce them to you, and uh, we will um, welcome them and make them feel at home. Um, this morning, we're going to start talking just a little bit about, about the kingdom and we have a, a, a little space here uh, as we've, we've left the Real God series and, and we're walking into where do we go from here. And I'm, I'm calling this Pray for Rain because I like a little play on words. That's a preacher thing. But um, the, this, the, the idea of, of kingdom and of kingship, you remember back in 1 Samuel 8 when the people first come to Samuel and they say, we want a king. Your sons are losers. Um, they don't really do what they're supposed to be doing. Um, we want a king, and, and what do they say? We want a king like the nations, right? You remember that? That's what they're asking for. We want a king like everybody else. We want to be like the cool kids. And so they get that in Saul. They get a king that's just like the nations. Samuel warns them, he's going he's gonna to tax you, and he's going to draft your sons, and he's going to, to, to take from your, your crops and all this stuff, and and. Do you know what you're asking for? And God tells Samuel later, it's not a rejection of you, it's a rejection of me. They're rejecting my leadership. And so they get a king. And and then they get a couple of good ones here and there along the way, but they get many more bad ones than they do good ones. And it's king after king after king after king. And then a big span of years and years and years. and, And when we get to the New Testament, they're still looking for a king. They're, they're looking for that promised Messiah. This guy is going to be different. He's going to be a different kind of king, and we're waiting on him. We're waiting on him because he's going to change everything. He's going to come in. He's going to kick out the Romans. He's going to make Israel great again. He's going to uh, run out all the, the oppressors that are on us. He's going to bring us back to our glory that we had under David and Solomon. He's going to be a hero for us, this king who we're, we're looking for. And then Jesus arrives. And when Jesus arrives on the scene, he comes out and he starts preaching. And he starts preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he's using that kingdom imagery and they start to hear that. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand in Matthew 4, 17. Then he's going he's to go throughout all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the good news, the gospel of the kingdom, that this kingdom is good news. He's, he's going to teach them how to pray. And he's going to say, you pray like this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's talking about kingdom. But, but seek ye first, he's going to teach them, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's what you should be going after. Um, he's going to teach them as one who has authority. He's going to teach them as one who is a king. 
And, and he's going to teach them about the gospel, the good news of this kingdom that is coming to earth. And so as he continues to talk about this kingdom, they get excited because maybe this is the guy. Maybe this is the Messiah. This is the anointed one. This is the one we've been promised. This is who we've been waiting for. But Jesus' kingdom is not like what they have in mind. Jesus' kingdom is revolutionary. He changes everything. When you read the Sermon on the Mount and and Jesus is saying, you've heard that it was said, but I tell you, that's changing Scripture. That's demolishing doctrine and tradition that had been held for hundreds of years. Now, most of us are like those Jews. We received our religion as a package, most of us. Uh, many, many of us, now some of you came to faith as an adult, but many of us were raised in homes where we got our, our, our religion as a package from our parents or from a, a trusted uh, a friend or, or preacher or, or teacher or somebody in our lives who gave us our framework of understanding God. And, and very rarely will people divulge from that. We take that package with us the rest of our lives. And, and that package is what Jesus is disrupting. Jesus is disrupting that package. He's breaking that tradition. He's shattering all those preconceived notions. And he's saying the kingdom is not about any of those things. The kingdom is not about the nation. The kingdom is not about your ethnicity. The kingdom is about the reign of a king. The word that's used, basileia, is a Greek word that, that traditionally is translated kingdom, but it literally means the realm in which a king rules. So it's not talking about uh, geography. It's not talking about borders and lands. It's talking about the authority or the rule of a king. Now the problem is, is that today... We don't get that as much, especially in America, because we have a hard time with kingdoms. We have a hard time understanding kingdoms. We, 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 do, we, don't, we don't live in that kind of world. And many of us have, have pledged our loyalty to other things. There are other things that reign in our lives. We don't like to talk about it, but for some of us, it could be good things, things that aren't even, I'm not talking about sinful things. I'm talking about our, our spouse, our children, our families, our friends, our jobs, our careers, our political affiliation. Whatever it is, our, our reputation. Some of us, it's our, our church, our tradition, our denomination, our, our history. Whatever it is that reigns over us. We are chasing things that are temporary. We are, are, are allowing temporary, finite things that have a shelf life to have dominion over us. Not long ago, PBS produced a documentary called Dream On. And in that documentary, they went around the United States and they were interviewing people about the American dream. 
What is the American dream? Is the American dream still alive and well? And, and it was interesting because over and over, they, they talked to people and these people would, would describe the American dream. And their American dream was that they would have a family and that they would have a little house with a white picket fence and, and a dog and, and be happy. That was their American dream. And it was funny because it didn't matter, north or south, east or west, uh, whoever, young or old, you were talking to. didn't matter ethnicity. Americans overwhelmingly, continually talked about that picture. They talked about the family and the kids. They talked about the little house with the white picket fence and the, and the dog and, and, and the happiness that came along with that American dream. And, and as they did it, the host starts asking them, have you ever actually seen a house with a white picket fence? Where do you get the house with the white picket fence? And, and as it went along, you started to realize that, that people were describing a metaphor, but they were pursuing something that they didn't really know how to get. And if they got it, that they wouldn't know where to find it. And if they got it, they might not even really want it. Sometimes that's the way we are with things reigning over us. There's frameworks of theology right now that play on this same basic need to seek happiness. It's called prosperity theology or the prosperity gospel. And it's, it's something that's rampant in, in Christianity today. The idea that God just wants you to be happy. God just wants you to be wealthy. God just wants you to be healthy. God just wants you to be blessed. And, and that's true to an extent. Because if you read Scripture, you'll find that most of the people who followed God were not happy or wealthy or materially blessed with a great number of things. Because things can't buy happiness. In America, we continue to try... But things cannot buy happiness. Jesus is going to say in Matthew 6, verse 31 through 33, Don't be anxious about anything, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus says, Seek the kingdom. Run after the kingdom, and all this other stuff that you're wasting your time on will take care of itself. In John 6, we see him after the feeding of the 5,000. And Jesus meets up with the crowds. He feeds the 5,000. He goes around to the other side of the lake. And, and before he even gets there good, the crowds are already there and they're already after him. And, and read with me here in John, if you have your Bibles, John chapter 6. We're going to start at verse 22. John chapter 6, verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. 
Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Three things about the kingdom that we see in this passage. The first is that it's not about prosperity. When the crowds find him on the other side, Jesus immediately knows why they're looking for him. They're not looking for the kingdom. They're not looking for a savior. They're looking for food. And Jesus says, you're not seeking me because you saw signs. You aren't coming to me because you believe that I'm the Messiah, that I'm your salvation, that I'm your only hope. You're here because your belly's got full. You got fed. And now you want some more. I wonder what he'd say to American religion today. When... Creflo Dollar convinces his thousand-member church that they need to give more money so he can have a private jet. When Joel Osteen stands in his basketball stadium in Houston and and teaches that we don't come to worship for God, we come to worship for us because God just wants us to be blessed. I think Jesus would shake his head and say, you aren't here because you've seen signs, you're here because you've got full bellies. It's not about prosperity, but it's also not about possessions. See, Jesus tells them to quit working for that which perishes. Quit chasing happiness in the bottom of a Coke bottle. Quit chasing happiness in the bottom of a whiskey bottle. It's a never-ending search. You're not going to find what you're looking for there. He tells these people, you're only following me for what you can get out of it. You're still hooked into the idolatry of things. I'm not here to provide you with more things. Remember, they all had expectations of that Messiah. He's going to drive out Rome. He's going to establish a kingdom. We're going to be a global power again. Um, that, that, was, that was the advertising vision of what God would do at the time. And, and they, they created this consumerism, this, this idolatry of things where they said, hey, you're the king that's going to set up the kingdom. The kingdom is going to come and flow with milk and honey. And there's going to be bread for everybody in the kingdom. And it's wonderful. And Jesus says, stop worrying about the food that perish. Don't spend your energy, don't spend your life chasing things that have a shelf life. Don't expend your life pursuing things. Because the novel gets old, today's fashion is tomorrow's clothing giveaway. The trip ends, and everything, and the only thing you're left with is credit card debt and photos. The constant attempt that we have to maintain that feeling that we felt when we were first there, whether it was on that trip or at that destination or that sexual experience or that, that high, whatever it is, we're chasing that first thing. And, and afterwards, all we get is an overload of shame or guilt or regret or insecurity. That's food that perishes. That's food that doesn't ultimately satisfy now, I'm not saying that trips are bad or fashion's bad or, or, or any of that stuff is bad. What I'm saying is when we give that stuff rain over us, 
Those things ultimately fail as a Savior. Those things ultimately fail as a King. So it's not about prosperity. It's not about possessions. It's also not about performance. We've made the pursuit of Jesus into one more pursuit in our lives. We've made it a a morality exercise where we have to be good. And and if we're not good, we're not going to be in the club and we're not going to get into the eternal club that that good people get in and the bad people don't. And, And if we just try hard enough, if we just do all the right things in all the right ways, we'll be rewarded with an eternity of, wait for it, more things. Right? He's going to give us a a mansion. He's going to give us a street of gold. He's going to give us a pearly gate. He's going to give us a new body. He's going to give us harps. Well, we're the church of Christ. We don't talk about that one. But he's going to give us all this stuff. And we're going to have so much stuff. And Jesus is going to be going, you still don't get it. It's not about stuff. These people want to know what the rules are. That's the next thing they ask him in this passage. What do we have to do? And you know what Jesus says? What does he say in this passage? They say, what do we have to do? What is the work of God? And Jesus says, you want to know what the work of God is? It's believe. Now, this is where the Yabbit birds come out. You know what a Yabbit bird is? The Yabbit birds want to go, yeah, but you got to repent. Yeah, but you got to be baptized. Yeah, but you got to confess. Yeah, but you got to live righteously. Jesus doesn't say any of that. I'm sorry. Jesus says, you got to believe in the one who was sent from heaven. Because if you believe, All that other stuff's part of it. You'll do that. See, seek the kingdom, and all this other stuff will be added to you. You're putting the the cart before the horse, as my grandpa used to say. Because it's not about performance, nor is it about possessions, nor is it about prosperity. Jesus says the kingdom is something we have to seek first before anything else. And so here we go. The challenge for the rest of the summer is to seek first the kingdom of God. Here's how I want to do that. I'm I'm challenging us that when you pray every day for the next 30 days, for the next 30 days, I want you to add this little phrase to your prayers. Your kingdom come, your will be done in Huntsville, in Huntsville Church of Christ, and in me as it is in heaven. That's doable, right? When you say your prayers, whether that's grace over your meal or whether it's your bedtime prayer, that's up to you. How you pray is not my business. But but when you pray, add that little phrase in there. Now, I'm going to help you out because we're going to do 40 days of fervent prayer. And as you leave today, we're going to hand you some papers. And, and there's no magic on these papers. It's just a little guide to help you pray. Because sometimes if you're like me, your, your prayer life, uh, you, you get your head bowed and your eyes closed and prayer time becomes nap time. And, and you don't even know what's happening, right? And, and it's okay, it's okay. Hey, you know, I used, to, I used to feel guilty about that until I had a little girl that would climb up in my lap and fall asleep. And I thought, you know, as happy as that makes me, it's got to make God happy when I do the same thing. So don't feel guilty about that. This is to help you. You're going to get one of these sheets. It's got days, and it's got a Scripture passage. And each one of these Scripture passages are a prayer. Abraham's prayer for Sodom. Jacob's prayer for mercy from Esau. Moses' prayer at the burning bush. These are just little starters to help you pray. Read that passage. Tailor that passage to your prayer. 
to your life and add in your kingdom come, your will be done in Huntsville, in Huntsville Church of Christ, and in me as it is in heaven. Forty days, that's the challenge. Forty days from now through September 8th. Forty days of fervent prayer. There's no magic in this, but you've heard me say it a hundred times. Prayer is the work of the church. And we want to be a people that are seeking God, that are praying to God, not doing anything on our own behalf, not doing anything on our own power, because we have no power, and whatever we do is worthless. But if we can, in, if we can connect with that Spirit, if we can connect with the power of God, that's when miracles happen. That's when amazing things happen. When we seek the kingdom first, everything changes. We're going to focus on the kingdom in here for the next few weeks. And we're going to look at Jesus' picture of the kingdom. A, a picture that Jesus says is at hand, is, is, is among us, is, is, is drawing near to us. The kingdom is here. That's the good news that Jesus is preaching. And so I hope you'll be studying up and, and, and reading up as we dive into this. And, and I mostly hope that you'll spend time in prayer for 40 days, praying for the reign of God in Huntsville, in our church body, and in each one of us individually as we seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus says that He is the bread of life. That bread that they're seeking is, is, is only found in Him. The work of salvation is already done. It's just up to us whether we're going to receive that. It's been done on the cross. The blood's been shed. The body's been broken. It's not about, it's not about what we do. It's not about what we've done. It's not about more possessions. It's not about more prosperity. It's not that God's some kind of divine Santa that, that we make our wish list for. It's about His passion. It's about His passion for you. This morning, I encourage you to stop searching for a picket fence that nobody wants or can really find. This morning, I, I encourage you to stop working for things that will pass away. And I encourage you to come to the bread of life, the bread that can give you eternity. Seek first His kingdom. Start right now while together we stand and sing. Rescue the perishing.